This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome in. This is the CCM Investing Power Hour, the show where there's only one rule, and that is to not have anything prepared. So we have no idea where this conversation is going to go. I have Ian Gray joining me as always and Ryan Henderson, co-host of the show. Um, This will unfortunately be Ian's last CCM Power Hour. He is graduating to the big investment banking world and uh, what? You got to keep... Everything under wraps, right? Can't uh, no no public talk about stocks anymore, right? So yeah, Ian, exactly. Getting a little little more heavily regulated. Exactly, and yeah. So we're still going to be doing the show. It'll be Ryan and I, uh, possibly adding some new guests, but we'll work through that. But guys, uh, let's get going. Any any big topics on your mind this week? Hmm. Not really. Ian, anything? Wow, hot I don't start. know. I got <laughs> <laughs> a, few, a few. Yeah, there's a few earnings that I thought were kind of interesting. Between I thought Zoom was kind of interesting. Um, Nvidia. Uh, there's one other one that was just I wanted to talk about that is. Oh, you want to talk about mind. Acuity's report? Acuity. We can. Yeah, I think it's it's fairly niche and small. I don't want to don't want to like pump that at all, but. We can. It's kind of, I think the advertising, oh, Snapchat was the other one I wanted to kind of discuss because. All right. Why don't we talk Snap in the uh, 8K that the entire financial world rests on? Yeah. Right. Apparently, Trade Desk just came out with something that said that they're on target with the same guidance. So maybe Snap's just not. Um, that was an isolated incident. But Ian, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I, I have generally been of the opinion that Snap is not particularly well run. Um, so I always take what I see there with a grain of salt, but it's, it does over the last, um, I don't know, last two years or whatever, it seems like it has a, uh, <laughs> whatever Snap says has an effect on all the other, other social media stocks. And I follow Pinterest more closely and some of these, like some of the demand side um, platforms like the Trade Desk or Acuity or some of these people seem to, you know, there's, when Snap speaks, it seems to, uh, rattle everybody but i i am kind of curious to see long term whether that is because snap is run poorly or if they actually do have um oh i just lost the article i was pulling up but whether snaps run poorly or it's or if it's actually um uh you know some some greater problems with the advertising industry but i don't know what do you guys generally think about that i have always felt like 
Okay. Well, I think there's sort of a ranking order within digital advertising. And I, for me, it feels like this last week, everyone thought, all right, Snap had bad report or, or they, they announced that they will miss their guidance. Um, so that applies to all of digital ad tech. And it's like, if I'm a business and I'm cutting my ad spend, I think I, I would be much more reluctant to cut my Google search spend than maybe the, the, the riskier side of my marketing budget, which was Pinterest and, and Snapchat, because Snapchat is insanely gimmicky ads. And I don't think the, I don't think it's as effective um, or useful in, in terms of uh, like return on ad spend. So I don't know, like, I don't think it's, maybe it's like the top of, the indicator where people are like, all right, we're cutting back a little bit, but I don't think it applies to the entire digital ad industry. Yeah, I agree. The There's a lot, there's not just digital advertising. There's brand advertising, there's small business advertising, there's all the different types. I forget all the definitions there are, but the difference between Google search, there's a difference between uh, that. And even within the alphabet universe, there's a difference between Google search and um the actual website ones, which I forget what that's called, but you guys know what I'm describing there. And then there's also Google YouTube, um, yeah, AdSense. And then there's also Maps, whatever. And then you evolve over to Facebook. Even Facebook's different. Facebook stuff ads is more small businesses. Instagram might be more brand aware, or it might be more um, apparel kind of centered. And then Snap might be entirely different. I don't know them that well, but it doesn't. Look, okay, in general, if the economy is slowing, advertising will slow because if consumer spending is down, there's less things that need to be advertised for. You're not going to get that return on spend. But, and it is a little bit cyclical in nature. It will follow the business cycle. And we saw that in 2020 with uh, Facebook and Alphabet's numbers. But I wouldn't, I'm not reading too much into this. Um, If the businesses are high quality, will get through eventually any sort of bullwhip effects on inventories and consumer spending or whatever. And if they're running a high quality ad network and providing the value to these end customers, merchants, whoever they are, I mean, it'll be fine in the end. Um, because if, uh, yeah, I guess that does that make sense guys? Yes. And I don't think, I use Snapchat on occasion. I, I guess I'm a daily active user just because I log in and send a, a picture to a friend. They got but, you hooked on that on that streak, huh? Sending yeah. a blank photo. The I'm go- probably going to delete it here soon. And the advertisements that I see, it's it's like promotions, promotions from um, like magazine type companies. So they'll do like, they'll do like promoted stories is one of the big ones. Um, And it's just not like, it is not effective at all. Whereas like Google search is almost a toll. If you're like a certain business, let's say I'm thinking like the Motley Fool or Seeking Alpha or something like that, where it's like, uh, you have certain tolls on certain keywords that you have to pay to attract interest. The that's way more durable to me through a bad 
uh, or a bear market or a recession than Snapchats, which felt like a lot of experimental marketing budget. Um, and even Spotify with Spotify's podcasting might be that way too. Like there's, uh, there's the yeah. chance for that as well. Yeah. And you move to connected TV, um, that can be entirely different. You don't really know. That's probably more brand oriented say like the easiest example is car ads. Um, if less people are buying cars, there might be less on CTV, but again, it's really hard to tell because some of these are faster secular growers, like maybe a CTV or an audio advertisement. Um, so they could be able to buffer any sort of headwind, but again, snap specifically, I mean, I think I'm in agreement with you guys. I, if you're invested in it, you spend some time on the app because it is right. It just doesn't seem that good. Kylie Jenner was right five years ago. (laughs) Well, the revenue, Hey, the revenue has been up. The revenue has grown pretty nicely. I don't know about their free cash flow per share, but. We do have a, uh, a comment here from Sleepwalker. Please ask Ryan where he got his headphones. I would like to know why. Is it bad or is it okay? Is it, is it, it bad or good? You sound fine. You sound fine. If it sounds fine, I went to uh, I went to a Best Buy and I think they're like gaming headphones maybe, but I don't know. I just asked for headphones with a microphone. So 60 uh, bucks, right? Not too much. Pretty solid. Yeah. One. Not too crazy. Just something where I could do it from here. Ian, sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, you're good. I just, to kind of hit on the Snapchat point, I think the thing that I've always thought is Snapchat, the main activity that it's trying to get you to do is not monetizable by ads, right? Like they don't, when you're sending pictures back and forth between your friends, you're never once seeing an ad. Now, if you start using stories or you're looking on some of their promoted stories or like the the corporate store, like the Wall Street Journal who posts, like I know they post something or they've got all sorts of like scammy ones too. But the main thing that Snapchat, the reason people use Snapchat to send messages back and forth to each other actually does not like have any ads in it at all. Whereas like, if you look at something like Pinterest or Google or Facebook, Instagram, Instagram yeah. the, the normal use case, the normal uh, path of behavior is something where there can be a lot of ad placement. It's it's almost like Snapchat is kind of like WhatsApp in a sense where its main main activity isn't monetizable. And now Snapchat has tried to add on all these other things around it to make part of it um, to to basically you know create ad products. But they their main their main thing actually is not an ad product or it does not have room uh, space for ad products. And so that just has always been kind of a high level critique I've had of it as a business. Um, it seems like you have to, it seems harder to have to convince users to do something new on your app. That's not the main point of your app rather than um, just monetize the activity that they're already doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. And that's more specific compared to this digital advertising in general. But I think the, the market right now, uh, would you guys agree that everyone's looking for a reason to sell? And Snap, that report or whatever, that update wasn't even that bad. They said they're going to be growing revenue, but just a little bit slower and that they're slowing down their hiring, which they hired, I believe they said they hired 2,000 people in the last 12 months, which what are those people working on? Because like Ryan was saying, the app well, has the app gotten any better? I mean, what are these people working on? But uh, the, oh, what was I trying to say? Everyone's like 
saw that little like, okay, that's just a slight weakness. We don't even have anything quantitative behind it. And we're going to sell off anything related 5%. And basically the market's going to be down 3%. Um, that feels super, super skittish. Um, and that's so different than what it was four or five months ago, pre probably the Russia Ukraine invasion. The yeah, it it does. I mean, I don't think it's like that insightful to say that there's a whole bunch of pessimism and kind of fear. And I think a lot of what creates that is not necessarily the sharpness of a decline, but the longevity of a decline, like how long are your stocks falling for and does it just start to wear you down as an investor i feel like we're seeing a lot of that where it's like you just stop buying the dip after you've done it 10 times and it's continued to collapse so i don't maybe like maybe that's why we've seen sort of this rotation away and it's been gradual i wouldn't even say it's gotten that bad i feel like there's a lot of margin that that there hasn't necessarily been that many margin calls. Like the yeah. one that I'm thinking of right now is the the Tesla one potentially. Well, they but, just revised, I think. Uh, are you talking with Elon or just in general? Elon, yeah. Or the micro strategy one. There's just and all that sell. I mean, that selling begets further selling. It, it's it's one of like the wonderful reasons never to use leverage on a non-cat like something without predictable cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of real estate or whatever, something like that. The, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think with, well, Bitcoin with microstrategy, but with something like Tesla specifically, if it takes a big downturn, cause it's been fairly immune ish. I mean, it's down like 30, 40%, but still up and basically flat in the last year. If that takes a tumble along with the broad market, I wonder how much leverage is embedded into that stock price. Um, how many people are on leverage there? Because you see a lot of individual investors tweeting about that and how they they have margin loans and whatever. There was that famous example with someone with like 10 million bucks. Um, but I just want to like, it'll be interesting if something like that happens, how much forced selling there will be. I think there probably was quite a bit with some stuff, but only in few pockets, maybe like something like Netflix or maybe something like Carvana, something like that. But it hasn't really been broad based. Um, and there ha I mean, there haven't really any been many stories of any big funds that were kind of levered up sort of like an Archegos or something, although that was a unique situation. Really? Have you guys seen anything on that? Uh, cause usually that happens during a downturn we see some big blow ups. Uh, nothing notable. There's been a lot of liquidations of funds like returning money to investors which is almost, I mean, that's not quite as bad, but it's forced liquidation. I think it's bad morally <laughs> because they wanted to start over at an easier hurdle rate, but you know, that's just yeah. me. Yeah, but I think how it's affecting the stocks is mm -hmm. our, returns, our returns have now been bad. We have to liquidate, gotcha. we're selling. So are we gonna see more of that the longer that we see poor returns? It's for you. Credentials to advance, confidence to stand out in your career. At Regent University, you'll join more than 30,000 world changers making a difference in high-demand fields. 
pursue your bachelor's, master's, or doctorate online or on campus in Virginia Beach. Your degree from top-ranked Regent University is waiting. So is the world you will elevate. Say yes to your purpose and position yourself for a brighter future. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Regent.edu slash learn more. I mean, as someone who we don't use leverage, whatever, super, super simple strategy. Um, I hope that continues selfishly because if there's four selling and quality names, then you can maybe pick something up at an irrational price. doesn't seem like that's really happened in you. Uh, it's not crazy right now, but you can, ho- I don't want to hope for that. Cause you don't want to, you know, I don't know. You never want to hope any bad stuff on anyone, but it could potentially happen and provide some good buying opportunities. Um, but who knows? What did you, uh, what did you think of, Adam Newman's new initiative. Oh yeah. Wait, I wanted to, let me get the definition of it. Ian, did you hear of this? I did not hear this. This is the first okay, one. Okay. Well, let me, He's back. Wait, let me pitch you on this. Uh, okay. Forget about WeWork. His past never happened. Now pitch the idea, bro. Ian. Yeah. Ian, let me see if you can be an investor here. We have a tokenized carbon credit system based on the blockchain. They just got $70 million in funding from A16Z Crypto, which just raised a, what was that? $4.5 billion fund. Um, And here's what it says. Flow Carbon's protocol helps projects sell tokenized carbon credits to companies looking to reduce their carbon footprint. The credits can then be traded on crypto exchanges. Are you in or are you in? Uh, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, I think, uh, that, that is crazy to me though, that he would get backed with $70 million from from anyone, from Andreessen Horowitz, but (laughs) yeah, particularly Andreessen Horowitz. It's like, and I'm sure they're looking at it as just a bet, like, you know, high risk, like all those venture bets, high risk, high reward, but man, like I would have thought that he was. He was gone for good. You're taking an insane amount of reputational risk as a company to, as an investment firm, doing that after his WeWork collapse. They, I mean, they are taking a huge amount by betting all this on Web3. I mean, didn't they, they just doubled, more than doubled their dollars going into crypto, 4.5 billion, which to me is just like, all right, geez, the party is not going to be end because we have this backstop here for these projects. Is, is A16Z now... Obviously, phenomenal track record. Are they flying too close to the sun here? Like, it seems like just a giant bet on just something that's pure speculation at this point. I don't think I don't think it's pure speculation. I think there is. Oh, Ian, Ian. I think like I well like I think Dogecoin and things like that clearly are. I think you know arguably some of the. You know, I think you can make the case that Bitcoin is pure speculation, but I do think there are some some use cases for crypto or you know the Web three. Like I'm not a not an expert. Name but I one. Think, I think hold on. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Name one. Name I've one. heard that. I've heard that so many times. That, yeah, there's rampant speculation, but the underlying technology has some interesting applications. I I haven't heard one, like, ever that I thought. Like the smart contracts, I don't get why that's differentiated, why that's like there was this long winded explanation of this this new 
blockchain based technology that would allow for digital signatures. <laughs> What's wrong with digital signatures now? Also, you can authenticate. Also, I don't want sm- I, I thought about this. I looked at the smart contracts once because I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't want that to be automated. We, I want some leeway into that system. But okay, I want, let's not get out into a Web3 debate here. Let's move back to A16Z and their investments here into it. And maybe with Adam Newman, I don't know. Ian, sorry. Uh, yeah, so I would, just, I would just say that as far as that, like I think there is, when there's this much money around, there's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of money put into things that fizzle out and die or were scammy to begin with or whatever, right? Like there's, it's just, there's a lot of money out there for something where there's not a whole lot of, for lack of a better term, there's a whole, not a whole lot of there there, right? There's a lot of questions about all this stuff going on in Web3 and crypto. But I think what does happen in a situation like this is if there is anything there, $4.5 billion is going to figure out how to find it. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Question. I have a question. Is it bad? for the economy to throw money at a bunch of zeros, like a bunch of speculative mm. securities when that money could be going into productive assets that help, help, help the economy grow. Ironically here, this is the same company investment firm that said at the start of the pandemic, it's time to build. And I guess they meant it's time to build Ponzi schemes, but I didn't know that at the time. It just okay. That's that's. I don't understand the. That feels. Like it's going to detract, from, GDP growth. Oh, interesting. Yeah, or just G. I mean, not even. Yeah, just quality of life. I just um, think that's such a. I think that's such a small portion of the economy, right? Even if you. you but know. if everyone's putting some. <sighs> If everyone says, well, you just need 5% in there. And there are so many people now that, I, and I know, like in total, I think total assets in crypto aren't like, it's, it's not like 50%. It's not detrimental, but it's a, it's a sizable. Yeah, it, for sure. And even if it's 1% to 2%, maybe 3%, that's 3% of capital that could have been put elsewhere right it could have been invested in nuclear power research or some stuff like that um I, is that what you're trying to get into ryan it's like where the opportunity it feels costs. yeah it feels like a huge waste and that's almost where i i empathize with munger's view that putting a stop to it is in the best interest of improving the quality of life for humanity. Yeah. I love how, uh, I know, I bet someone say like, this is an extreme example, but, um, I always thought of when Jack Dorsey would go to Africa and he's like, we're bringing Bitcoin to Africa. I feel like everyone's like, we just want some running water, man. Like just, can you take your billions and just, we want some faucets and some showers. Like we don't need, uh, um, <laughs> any, any Bitcoin here. Uh, yeah, let me, let me, yeah, let me just say one more thing about that because I think I think what needs to happen in crypto and it may reduce all of I think people are smart at the end of the day. Like I think people individually are stupid, but I think people collectively end up being pretty smart. And sometimes there's a lagging effect on that, but I think that over over 
longer period of time, the market's pretty efficient. And I think one of the things that's causing some inefficiency in the market right now relative to crypto is that there's just so much uncertainty and in a place where most of the assets we interact with um, in everyday life now and like the securities we interact with and the stocks we trade and all those types of things, we've got lots, we've got all the information we need, or at least all the information that we've become accustomed to with crypto we don't have all that same information. And so I think there's a lot more, um, there's just a lot more uncertainty there, which arguably is creating false expectations of the upside because there's you know expectations that X, Y, or Z is going to happen or that this is backed by these types of assets and it's really not, or you, you name it, right? But there's just, there's not enough transparency, I think, in a lot of the crypto, which is kind of ironic, but there's not a lot, enough transparency to know what's really going on. And it, there's a little bit of a, a hurdle to understand how it really works. And somehow it's reached mass adoption though. And so I think a lot of that is going to, um, like it all, it all evens out in the end. Ultimately, I think the market's fairly good at capital allocation decisions. Um, it just takes it takes some time, and I don't think it's worth. Hey, like, artificially- you know, I got a book. I got a book recommendation for you, and it is called. Oh, oh shoot! What's who's? I don't know the author. People go mad in groups. I think Ian, you may. I may disagree with you that everyone's like the crowd's rational. It can get irrational. I think the crowd, I think the crowd can get irrational, but I think you take it over enough, a long enough period of time. And I think the crowd's pretty rational. Yeah. Um, And it just takes, it just takes some time. And I don't think that the, the risks of, I, I don't like getting in the business of all of a sudden like, Oh, don't let people do this or don't let people do that. I think that's not the right way to answer these types of questions. I think getting, more information out there about what's really going on. I think more education, more um, education information. What, in it. Though it will sort itself out, but it, part people have now died in the process of it sorting itself out. Right? That's like true. there's yeah, like, is, it a, is it such a net negative? It's not regulated that people have lost their wealth, and there was suicides related to the the Luna collapse. The right. I think that's the I think that's the answer though is the regulation actually. I but think what are we regulating? I don't I don't love regulation, but it just like we regulate um, how you can market and sell securities. Like there's all these regulations about the ways that you can sell stocks, who you can promote stuff to, who you can't, what type of language you can use, all that type of stuff. It's like the wild west with crypto, and so people are they are. Um, but isn't the people wild are getting west- scammed more easily? I think with crypto than with with traditional securities. Wait, wait, so wait, like one thing, here. one thing. No, no, one okay, thing, one ahead. thing. So I, I see Scotland, Scotland, I, I see the comment on snow earnings. We will touch on that. Uh, but I say something, Brett, because I, I came across a company this week that's in the blockchain sector that I thought would catch your guys' eyes. Is it, so the, is it the athletic one? Do I, can I tease, it was it that one or no? no? Well, I maybe I'll save that other one for another time. But uh, so... The claim is that we don't want it to crypto to be the wild west anymore, but isn't the wild west the product? So what's the point if it's not the wild west anymore? Because then it's just air. It's just bits. It's just whatever that Wolf of Wall Street, Matthew McConaughey thing of it's a, you know, it's that. I think it's a different way to create networks. Like that's the, that's the question is, is, 
because like a lot of the, you're right. A lot of the value proposition right now is that it's like unregulated. And so then you can do these things that then make it more effective and more cost effective to do some sorts of transactions. And so even that's not always the case, but I think the question becomes going forward as it becomes more regulated is the way that this process and these systems and these networks function. Um, are those more effective than traditional software? solutions or other types of networks but it's just a different it's a different way to that's fair to build networks i think and and i think that's the question is is there anything there i haven't been convinced yet that there is anything there i'm just not willing to write it off and i think if there's to kind of bring it full circle i think if there's another four and a half billion dollars going into it um i think there's some decent odds that andreessen horowitz is going to find some of the things that actually are that become successful and capitalize on those types of networks um than if there wasn't four and a half billion dollars going into that industry. And I don't know, I think time will tell whether that was a worthwhile investment or not, but I think if there's anything there, I think they're going to find it. If they, they should make a deal that if nothing happens from this fund, like legitimate, you know, and it's not just crypto on top of crypto, whatever loans to crypto on whatever that sh- stuff is, um, they should make a deal to just shut it down. Like, all right, we're not going to try again because everyone wants, there's so many people that want this to be successful. And I worry that no one wants to admit that it's all wrong. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Ryan, what's your, what's your pitch okay. The The company I saw, I think it was called Applied Blockchain, and our friend, uh, my friend through The Motley Fool, his, his name's Connor Allen, kind of presented this company, and he's like, oh, it's a novel idea. Um, and it was a company that had pivoted multiple times, which is always like a huge red flag. It, it kind of skated wherever the puck was. Um, and so then they became applied blockchain and they had a million dollars in annual revenue and had, I believe, raised $58 million in cash from financing. So the they're just selling stock like What's That's their my, product? What's their? It was some mining concept where they're, I don't, I have no idea, but it's a million dollars in revenue, $58 million in cash from financing. They had, I want to say $12 million in stock-based compensation. I was just looking at it. <laughs> what a great ratio. 1200% of revenue. It's insane. That's, that's, the th- that's probably the part that makes me, that gives me the most distaste for what's going on in blockchain is that 
people are getting rich without providing any value to anyone, really. Yeah. If we snapped our fingers and everything in crypto went to dust and it didn't exist, there'd be know, more resources for more people. There'd well, be, there'd be there'd more be, semiconductors for more people. There would be more energy for people. Um, and the world wouldn't change. Nothing maybe, would change. Maybe, uh, now, I did see some transactions. There's some countries where it's less volatile than their currency. So they try to use it for transactions. Well, that's pretty sad. And I hope that changes soon because, man, that's disappointing. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. And I do think after a 50% decline, I imagine a lot of those transactions flood, like it becomes, it's no longer seen as the less volatile currency after that. But the other thing that someone brought to our attention is in terms of us as investors allocating resources or allocating capital. If a stock declines, if a cash flow in business, it's it's traded security declines by 50%. The likelihood of it declining by 50% again is reduced. It's inverted for crypto. Because so, of the network effect and the virality of people, yeah. The momentum. Because there's no yeah, yeah, there's no underlying asset. So it's like I can't get comfortable with that risk as an investor at all. Well, here's what's interesting and we talked about this again with someone offline from one of our interviews is that and I, this is has surprised me again and again, is that very surprisingly few people get the concept that a stock is attached to a company that generates cash for you. No, I just, how is that so hard? Maybe switching topics here, because we can probably move on from crypto. We should limit, we should do a timer on how much we talk crypto every time. But does that, why is that, why do you guys think that's the case? Why do people can't, can't can they not grasp it? Well, I think it's difficult because the way things are traded, like it's hard to, I don't know, you were probably like this when you started too. Like you look, yeah, yeah. you look at a, like, why does the stock move? Why does this like thing with four letters move sporadically every day? If it's just like the business isn't, you know, but people see feel- separate. But why can't people like it should be so simple to tell to teach someone this and then they it's like, oh yeah, okay, I understand. Because you don't make money by teaching it. No, it's okay. you make money by gamifying it. Yeah. And people people associate the stock market more with the charts than they do with the financial statements. Okay, good. Which point. I think is is the problem, right? Every time someone says the stock market or you see it on CNBC or you see anything. You're seeing, oh, what's the stock doing? Like Ryan was saying, what's the stock been doing today? How are these four letters moving on this chart? You know, let's look at these angles and the the lines and all this t- stuff to see, like, oh, is it going to bounce or is it going to, you know, drop? Is it a falling knife? Like all everybody's casual interactions with the stock market are about price action rather than about the the financial wherewithal of the business. And I think the other piece of it is that. I don't think as many people as I would like to believe, I don't think there's as many people as I would like to believe that actually 
um, understand finance, just frankly, right? I think people don't like in their personal lives, they kind of get it that like, okay, I want to be generally, you know, taking in more than I'm spending. And I generally kind of want to have savings, but I don't think people understand it in a systematic way. And so when you try and apply that to a business, even less people understand it. When you try and apply it to not a business that's owned by them, but a business that's owned by a million different people, the idea of how the decisions they're making are affecting the bottom line and what's actually happening and how those earnings get dispersed or how they get reinvested. And um, I, I think it's just, it's a hard concept for people to grasp when they don't have the building blocks of finance or microeconomics or those types of things. And I don't think it has to be like, I don't right. think people need to have super in-depth understandings of those, but I think, I think the, I don't think we've done a very good job, particularly in this country of teaching just the the standard building blocks of, you know, even supply and demand and, um, you know, revenues and expenses and profit, right? How do we get- know, And it's not even that difficult if you put it, if you don't try to overcomplicate it. You got a, a good comment here from Scotland. Thank you for being one of the few to, uh, <laughs> to join the comments. Say uh, you said, or they said, nothing hurts my investments than watching hurts my investments more than watching CNBC every day. That is, I can agree with that. Um, I decided never to watch CNBC except for maybe, you know, a Twitter clip or something like that. It's just not helpful. Um, the return on time is rather poor. Did any of you guys look at the snowflake earnings? Glanced at the highlights, um, saw revenue continue to grow quickly. Customers aren't really growing that quickly, but that's kind of as to be expected. Net revenue retention is really, really great. Um, I mean, I guess the thing is, like, if that keeps continuing along, net revenue retention above 150%, things will be fine. But you got to see operating leverage eventually. They're kind of going, you know, scorched earth, grow as fast as possible. So no surprise that they're going to get hit in this market when they're not generating cash. And obviously, it was still really expensive stuff. When you do have a sticky platform, like I believe Snowflake is, and the lifetime value of your customers is as high as they've proven it can be with their retention rate. There's no reason not to go scorched earth towards growth. True. Because if a, you can, well, you don't want to be having a native operating margin of hundred percent, but as I mean, long as those aren't costs that scale in line with revenue over time, you eventually the operating leverage can come if you have enough, if that platform's sticky enough. Yeah, I think the key like thing that a lot of people need to focus on, and it's not even um, understanding the depths of the product so well on what a data lake or the data warehouse thing is, it's how good is their sales efficiency? Because a lot of their sales and marketing spend and the ratio of that to revenue is going to be so important. And it's a hard question to answer, and there's not much research you can do about it. And switching costs. Yeah. Well, I or, mean, that comes into it of how much you're going to have to pay to keep people around as well. Yeah. So I think if it's a high quality software business, you should see that scale and spend, but it's really hard in this early stage when someone is going scorched earth, like Brian said. So something else I was thinking about was there are a lot of companies now, public companies that are being pressured and private companies too, because we've seen a lot of down rounds that are being pressured to show operating leverage now, whether that's just general market pressure or on conference calls with investors, whatever it is. 
the companies that opt not to do that, that don't care what their price says today, are going to be better off in the long run. Yeah, doing what they think is correct without the outside influence. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. Because I know a lot of people hide behind this, but sometimes the best thing for long-term free cash flow per share is not to show cash flow now or not to show earnings, uh, taxable earnings in the current moment. So it's like, I know a lot of people just like copy Bezos and say that, and then they're actually just funneling money towards nothing. But <laughs> funny, that's kind of where, well, I, no, that's kind of where nothing, I'm not towards nothing. They're funneling it towards Google and Facebook's operating profits. That, that's yeah. the, I, I do. Yeah. I mean, they're, but I, that's kind of where I've been fishing lately. Like is which companies are like still have been, like just don't care about like oh okay i see that the market like wants us to produce cash flow we might peel back a little spending like no we're we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and keep our heads down and i do think that's that is also in that is not independent of stock based compensation because the more stock that you've issued to employees and executives the more susceptible you are to changing your attitude when things go poorly. So Good I do, point. Yep. So maybe part of that is lower and stock-based compensation has been cut become such a hot topic now. I was and harping I, on this a year ago. People don't come on. We need to get on this train. I think people try to oversimplify it that they're just like, well, you just give them multiple of free cash flow minus SBC. I'm like, all right, I'll that's not how you do it, but I'll take your returns if you want to do that. The there's I mean I've, there's got to be a reason that all these companies do it besides masking tr- true profitability. Uh, well, there's some tax benefits. Um, I just hate how they're basically buying high, selling low if the stock keeps going up. If they're buying back to offset dilution. It's so annoying, I guess, is the only word to describe it. Because when you're selling a stock option, say it's at that whatever lower strike price, and then if you buy it back at a higher price later, that is value destruction, all else equal. What do you think? I've been thinking about this a little bit recently because I 100% agree with what you just said. Obviously, it's just logic. But um, what do you do with these companies that just start hoarding cash in the balance sheet? And whether it's like an extreme example like, Apple or Google or or Berkshire Hathaway traditionally, you know, in the last, you know, they've I know they've been spending some recently, but um, or even I've been looking at some companies like I'm trying to think. I think Pinterest was in this boat where they're basically cash flow positive, um, and they've got two or three billion dollars in cash or whatever it was when we were looking at it the other day, and like don't really have a use for that cash necessarily. But now with the stock price coming down, the cash is. You know, let me just, I'm going to pull up some numbers here on Pinterest because that's what we were just looking at the other day. Shout out to go listen to our not so deep dive episode. Um, but yeah, they've got, they've got a market cap of 2.6 billion and uh, cash of, or sorry, a market cap of 12.6 billion and cash of about 2.6, 2.7 billion. And so, you know, almost 15% in cash and you're like, okay, that cash really isn't serving you well, it's providing a little bit of a margin of safety for the business, but 
they're cash flowing. Um, oh, let's see, 695 in the last 12 months, 695 million. Even if you take out stock-based compensation, they're still at almost 300 million in uh, free cash flow. So, you know, they seem to have plenty of cash. You know, they're not, they don't need that 2.7 billion to reinvest in the business. And it does provide some margin of safety and they can make some acquisitions or something like that. But it seems like more cash than they really need to operate the business. Um, but I don't know, like maybe you start looking at doing some buybacks. I just don't know. There seems to be a number of companies I'm coming across that are like this, where they have a pretty big cash balance relative to their market cap. They don't need the cash, but I w- would also not necessarily say that buying back the stock is the best option. Like I'd love if they had reinvestment opportunities to use the cash, but everybody raised cash when it was, you could get convertible notes at 0% or whatever. Um, it is kind of like an awkward point in time where a lot of these companies might not necessarily be cheap enough to, the stocks might not necessarily be cheap enough to warrant repurchasing shares or they there may be more attractive places to put the capital um, at that stage in their life but if you don't need it what else do you do with it and the the thing is i feel like a lot of companies are hoard like saving it for a rainy day now the rain now it's raining and no one's deploying it so, I don't understand. So many companies are just disappointing on their capital allocation decisions especially tech well, tech's a broad word, especially Silicon Valley style tech. You've company. gone full bear market grump, Brett. You've gone full bear market grump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ryan's uh, first. It's crypto. R- now it's the capital allocation decision. Uh, Ryan, Ryan was lagging there. I think uh, I, you came in as kind of a well. I don't know. You, you started complaining about something, uh, and uh, maybe I, that, that was the that was the market gods telling you that. Telling if you, you, if you quiet. If you can still hear me, I said you've gone full bear market grump. I feel yeah. like there are a lot of, and I mean, it's, you've been kind of preaching it for a while now. And so it, part of me, there's been like a lot of this froth overall of whether that's like excess SBC or, or stuff that just never felt that shareholder friendly throughout the bear hold, the, throughout the bull market. And now, even though I feel inclined to take like a victory lap and sit, like see like stocks don't always trade at that. <laughs> it, it, it's all, it's better to swallow my pride and buy the companies that are quality businesses. And, but at the same time, like the noise of, Oh, it's, it wasn't a quality business. Also, you have, the stock does change the sentiment. Yeah, but management's so important over the long term about where they're redeploying capital, either back to you as a shareholder or into the business. It's just hard if someone, like with Pinterest especially, they made. I, I guess a lot of these companies made the smart move of doing the convertible note, but now they have the cash. I mean, at Pinterest, it's not that crazy expensive. If they think that, okay, if they're right, like about what they think the business can do, it should be cheap. And why not buy back? There's nothing else to do. And buy, an acquisition almost assuredly will be Fire. value destroying. 
you just hire, you hire more and more and more employees. <laughs> oh, so that gosh. one day, so that one day you can get an in-house checkout that's process. That, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yes. The, so I think is, most companies, what do you guys agree with it? Do you guys disagree or agree that almost every single company has too many employees? I would have to probably agree with that. I think that's the investor in you speaking. Have you worked at a large company before? Well, you worked at a unique one, the Molly Fool, but you can't say you, we're still. I'm not going to comment so, on that. But the, no, we uh, still work there, so no, no comment. But I worked at a subsidiary of Altria, um, the wine division, and I got to say, it had two times as many employees as it needed, and it actually hurt to have more employees than less. I think that can happen with a lot of these, like we're at the snap one where they said they hired 2000 people in the last year. How, what's the return on that investment you're looking at in that lens? Like, I do hate uh, that is maybe my, unless it's for a role that is hard to attract. So the, like, like it's talent that's hard to get. So I think like video game developers are in high demand right now and they're hard to attract. Well, that's a that's a employee intensive business. The the part of me just gets really frustrated when I see companies bragging about how many employees they hired, especially yeah. to investors. Like we just recorded that show or doesn't just mean anything today. for me. Yeah, we just recorded that show on Adyen. That might be the only company that doesn't have more employees than it needs, and it comes out with way way better products than its competitors. I saw that Stripe. And this is uh, just a photo someone was sharing on Twitter. They have it like a chief climate officer. <laughs> what? What? What is that? That's that's a that's first off, it's a chief, so it's got to be paying like at least three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year, and you're a payments company. Someone's got to hire him, Brett, <laughs> or else unemployment <laughs> would be at like twenty percent. Yeah, think yeah. about think about how many unemployed chief climate officers there'd be in the world if there wasn't a stripe out there handing out the jobs. Okay. I know it hurts the bottom line, but it's, it gives people purpose. So, okay. We don't need to get, (laughs) there is some give and take there. You could have like 20% of people unemployed and then just tax companies at a higher rate and give it back to the people, or you could give them something to do during the day. I think people would figure or, out something to do instead of filing paperwork. I think there's a lot of things that people would enjoy more. Or call me crazy. We could actually make it easier for people to start their own businesses so that um, then these people can, you know. You're crazy. That's, can, uh, no, that's yeah. <laughs> Okay. What about... Uh, What's the one- biggest red flag? Biggest executive red flag right now? If they did this today, you would be like, all right, I may have to sell shares. Um. Okay. Biggest red flag. Not dot ETH. That's. I don't think anyone's doing it anymore in their Twitter profile. Gosh, I believe it would be. I, there's a lot of them. I don't think there's any that stand out. But one that I've seen recently that I've just been disappointed by is giving yourself bonuses on low hurdle rates. That one's not like a thesis breaker, but it's just disappointing. I mean that. Yeah, that's detrimental that sucks i was thinking more like character flaws because oh, that's like okay, literally yeah. bad for your returns as oh, a right, right, right. outside shareholder 
Uh, character flaws. Definitely focusing on the like quote unquote enemies competition or financial analysts, stuff like that. That's the biggest red flag because historically looking at Enron, all that sort of stuff, companies like Enron, um, that there's a correlation between that and hiding something. Um, and there's quite, quite a few companies I've avoided because of that focus. Most aren't as bad as Enron and being as aggressive against their enemies, quote unquote. But yeah, that's the biggest one. One thing I'd throw out there, one thing I'd throw out there is the, um, how, how these companies are kind of dealing with employees right now. And so there's been a lot of companies that were posting that type of stuff about, Hey, we hired 2000 people. We did all this type of stuff. And now they're having to come out and say, Oh, we're, you know, cutting our workforce by a third. And, um, I always find it frustrating, um, to see some companies that, do stuff like that, that like say they're super, like when things are going well, they're super employee friendly and all this type of stuff, but then it ends up causing if, if they're not very smart about hiring, then when things get tough, then they just cut everybody. And I don't think that's necessarily the best way to run a business to, to kind of be whipsawing back and forth between being having too many employees and too few employees. And and I just don't think it's great for morale. And so when I see, it's a little bit of a red flag if I'm looking to invest just because I'm um, if they don't do a very good job of handling that, that's um, I think that's a pretty big important thing in the culture of a company and the the performance of a company is figuring out how to hire at the right speed and treat your employees well and not just be constantly, you know, not, not have the rosy glasses on when things are going well. And then, and then, uh, when things turn south, all of a sudden be like, oh, we can't have any of these people hired and this is a total problem and we should have seen this coming and all that type of stuff. It just, it doesn't have a very good taste in my mouth. I feel like, yeah, consistency seems like a, like a huge factor to me in looking at companies. Like, do you, are you champion, are you championing, championing yourself when the stock's doing well and blaming others when the stock's doing poorly ideally the business like really does if i'm a worker at a business i i my day-to-day is not changed at all dependent on the stock price that would be that's why i that's why uh it would be better like i think going clean slate never doing spc is the way to go it just is way more fragile or sorry it's it's way less fragile to have no spc if possible. I mean, there's so many quality companies that. What if you uh, could do it in a way that net is less costly to you as the employer, uh, but you can give them stock. What do you mean by that? Well, whether whether that's tax advantages or, or you're able to pay them less in in total, but part of it's in stock. Now, if you're talking all the benefits and detractions of stock-based compensation, I don't think there's any argument unless you're really, really, you know, unprofitable at an early stage. You, I don't think have, you don't any. have the resources to pay them. I mean, think if Amazon stopped doing SBC like five years ago and just started people paying people in cash. They could do it. They'd be fine. And there would be less worries right now among, you know, employee attrition. And here's the thing. With a lot of these type of companies, people get paid healthy, healthy salaries and they can buy the stock. I've said this like 20 times. 
you can buy the stock if you want. It's public. I, I just don't understand. There's no, I don't see any benefits to the stock options besides the small savings you get on, on cash flow expenses and, and taxes. And it might not be worth owning. Make the decision for yourself. Like, exactly. That's the other thing. I feel like I've seen too, a lot of the times employees get that they're so skewed by what they see on a day-to-day basis that they feel like they have to own the stock or that the stock well, will do it's, well it's because a, the company's it's doing a, well. Speaking of going mad in groups, I think it's just because everyone else is doing it. So everyone thinks that stock options are the right way to go and that it's smart and that, oh, that's the best way to make a lot of money. I get stock options, blah, 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 blah. But it's it just, I think everyone's gotten mad. And some companies, I mean, this is, we, companies we own do this. I mean, they're spending 10% of revenue on stock-based compensation. I mean, it's just so aggressive. Um, what, what are you guys' thoughts on executive compensation, though? I've been looking at some stuff. Is there... They should all just be giant founders and shareholders. And <laughs> yeah, and they all should get paid a dollar a day like Jack Dorsey. Um, what, like, is there an optimal way or do you, is it a company-by-company company basis? Where it depends on the fit. It depends on. I no. I don't think there's an optimal one size fits all way. I think Buffett said that too before. Like with all his companies, compensation's different. The it depends on the goals of the organization. It also depends on that person's role at the company. If they were a founder and they own thirty percent of the stock, I don't think you need to give them a bunch of stock. Exactly. That's a big red flag. If someone already owns a sh- lot of stock and is gifting, basically gifting themselves more, that's a huge red flag to me. What yeah, about? I, spend, I tend not to spend a lot of time like focusing on executive compensation because I don't think this is this becomes less true when it's um, if it's a small cap or a micro cap. But in most cases, with lots of the companies we're investing in that are over a billion dollar companies, the executive compensation doesn't have a meaningful impact, I don't think, on the success of the business. Um, I think it's sometimes it can give you some indicators about some other problems within the business, like maybe the CEO isn't very um, fair or isn't very, um, is focused too much on lifestyle and not enough on the business or things like that. Sometimes you may be able to read between the lines to see that type of stuff, but I don't think the actual compensation piece of it ends up affecting the outcome of the business in most cases, because there's a lot of businesses that have done very well where the executives have been very highly compensated. And there's been a lot of businesses where the ex- that have done very well where the, where the executives have been uh, compensated at a much lower rate. And I just don't think it has a whole lot of um, bearing on what the company ultimately does. But Yeah, that's a great point. I, like it's frustrating to see executives getting paid too much because it's hurting the bottom line. Um, and it seems unfair if someone's getting paid $50 million a year. Uh, but on the other hand, I do, I think I agree with you that if you're worried about executive compensation and you're worried about say the CEO's incentive plan and you're saying, okay, they have this incentive plan. Now it's going to be a good investment. I, the business might not be as high quality enough for you to invest in anyways, because then like if, if yeah. the executive matters so much, the business can't be that good. 
right? If it's coming down, if your if your investment decision is coming down to whether they're paid, you know, ten million dollars a year or two million dollars a year, it probably isn't the right place to invest. Unless right? the market cap's a hundred million. <laughs> all right. Yes. Exactly. If all right, this is. I try to not criticize by name, but if um, a certain at block, if, uh, if if a certain executive left, would would you consider uh, owning that company? Again? A certain a certain guy that likes Bitcoin a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh maybe. Yeah, I look at it again. Yeah, depends. Depends that everything shakes out. Depends on what sort of strategy they laid out. But yeah. I feel like that's a good example of how uh, how much of an influence a CEO can have on on like the organization's goals, strategy. You know what I mean? Because there's been so many initiatives that are skewed towards uh, decentralized finance instead of just growing the cash app. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. Anything Sorry, else? That's guys? a random question, but uh, I've, well, I just have to I have to shout this out. But I think it's funny. But Sleepwalker said, "Who are who is your guys' least favorite financial YouTubers slash gurus?" And I uh, I don't think I'll be getting into that. I don't think you guys will either. There's you know, there's a lot out could. there. I just don't <laughs> listen. If anyone is promising returns, don't listen to them. But yeah, they, we all know everyone has probably been served those ads and seen those recommendations of those crazy videos of people promising stuff and. All that. Um, right. I don't, even, too I don't good even know their names. Yeah. Praised by yeah, name. Praised by name. <laughs> There's by a category. lot. Yeah. 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 We all know. Like, I don't know any of their names, but there is, there's a lot of um, BS out there. What's um, your most, oh, let me change the question. What's your least favorite guru trait? What's a red flag for you that says, okay, this, this guy might be full of it or this guy or gal. Oh, it's almost always a guy, but uh hyper confidence like the uh, yeah if you speaks I, I, speaks in certainties yeah yeah only a sith deals in absolute right absolute <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good one i think having two or three ferraris in the front of a a uh, track home <laughs> now that's just funny you know, like is yeah that's always that's always a good one but yeah, it is, it's so funny how they all seem to do the same things. Uh, Ian must Froze. work. Yeah, uh, Ian Froze. Your eyes were closed for a second there, Ian. All right, anything else, guys? No, Ian, I think anything? it's time to sign off. Well, we're about to record our last, or potentially last, not so deep dive with Ian. So, Ian, anything you want to say? Um, Something to the crowd. Yeah, for the, for the <laughs> yeah. well, for the four people on YouTube and the, the few thousand on, on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just say it has been awesome getting on with you guys. I always love talking stocks and um, wanted to thank you guys for kind of giving me the opportunity to to do this podcast with you. And it's been great getting to know you and meeting some of the people through this podcast. Um, it's been awesome. And I've just, I've learned a lot, made some friends and, uh, you know, excited to stay in touch going forward. All right. Yeah, that's a good way to end My it. My heart is very full at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, all right. That's going to do it. Thank you all for listening. Um, I guess we should just do the disclosure or maybe not. There'll be disclosure somewhere. It'll be at the beginning 
Uh, remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening or watching. Um, if you are listening, we do do this on YouTube. What is it? Every Thursday at 12 p.m. 